Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, uh, we're continuing our little mini-series on the church. Uh, so Thomas kicked us off last week. Uh, I taught out of Ephesians chapter 3. Kind of, We talked about what the church is and, and the nature of the church. And uh, this week we're going to be uh, talking about uh, church leadership. Uh, but I want to start off with a thought experiment. Um, when you hear the word pastor, what comes to your mind? Just think about the word pastor. What's some of the first things that come to mind? For different ones of you, there's probably different images that come to mind, different words that come to mind. Uh, maybe you think of a priest, you know, somebody in robes or, uh, you know, or something like that. Uh, maybe you think of a, uh, a sweaty, overweight guy in a suit, you know, with a southern drawl, you know, like if you're from the south, like that's kind of what I think of a lot of times when I think of pastor. Maybe, maybe you think of a guy uh, with skinny jeans and a, and a latte from Starbucks and, you know, with like low lighting around him. Or maybe, <laughs> or maybe you think of somebody that looks like me. I don't know, just, just an average Joe. Um, what about deacon? What do you think of when you hear the word deacon? This one's a little bit harder, isn't it? When you hear the word deacon, what are some of the, the first things that come to your mind? An older man, yeah, some people might think of an older man, that's good. For some, maybe nothing at all. Like, we, you know, when we think about deacon, we think, you know what, I'm not sure I really know much of, at all about deacons. What, what do deacons do anyways? Aren't those just people that have, like, honorary titles because they've been at the church for over 25 years or something? Like, is that how you become a deacon? You know, the role of deacon is not talked about very much, and so often it's, it's misunderstood and it's undervalued. Uh, we all have certain things that come to mind when we think about the roles of pastors or elders and deacons. By the way, I just uh, just want to go ahead and put this out there from the start. Uh, I'm going to be uh, using the word elder this morning, but when I talk about elder, the word elder and pastor are interchangeable. It's talking about the same person, the same office, okay? Uh, so I'm going to try to use the word elder. Uh, if I accidentally say pastor, though, I also mean elder, all right? Uh, we all have certain things that come to mind when we think about these two um, roles, um, and but what I want us to do is see what God's word has to say about elders and deacons. Um, God says a lot, uh, a lot more about church structure than you realize, because it's important. And so this morning we're going to be in First Timothy chapter three, uh, and really the entire book of First Timothy is about church structure. It's instructions written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who he had left behind in Ephesus to kind of set things in order at the church in Ephesus, and he was instructing Timothy on how things ought to be structured and how things ought to be ordered in the church. And I'll explain more of the context and the background in a minute after we read the passage. Uh, but let's go ahead and read it. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the words will also be on the screen behind me. Here's the word of God. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." 
Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. Um, Lord, I, I pray that this morning we would listen uh, to what you have to say. God, the order of the church is so important because the order and the structure of the church is what helps to support the ministry and the spiritual life of the church. Um, without order, without structure, um, God, the spiritual life will, will suffer in the church. So, God, I pray that you would help us to see your good hand and your good design in the way that you have ordered the church. And I pray that you'd help each one of us in this room to see our part in it that we all have a part to play, God, that you have given each one of us gifts and that you desire to use us this morning. Um, God, I, I pray that people would see your goodness. I pray that you'd help me as I teach. God, I desperately need your help. Um, I'm not able to, uh, to convince anybody or to teach anybody uh, anything or to change anybody's heart. God, only you can. And so I pray that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. Show us how it applies. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, again, uh, let me just set some context so that we can get our bearings, kind of remind us a little bit of what we talked about this past week. So, uh, last week, uh, Thomas talked about the church. Now, the church is the called out people of God. Okay, So the church is not a building, the church is not a place, the church is a people right? who have been called out of the world and into relationship with God and one another. We, uh, everybody, every Christian has been born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and brought into God's household. And the church is a body, it's made up of many members, so each Christian is a member of the body. Um, each Christian is a member of the church. So if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church. There's no such thing as being a Christian and not being a part of the body of Christ. There's no such thing really as a Christian who's walking in obedience to Jesus who's not connected to a local church. Um, maybe you've heard the term before. You probably have heard the term before. Uh, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Anybody heard that? Personal relationship. Now, that's, that's a true statement. It's true that you must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be born a Christian. Uh, your parents can't decide for you to become a Christian for you. That's a decision that you have to make. You yourself must personally repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. So, in that sense, it's true that we need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But our relationship to Jesus, while with Jesus, while it's personal, it is not private. It is not private. Uh, the, the New Testament uh, clearly calls us into community when we become a Christian. So it's a personal relationship that you have, but you also have a relationship with all the other Christians around you. One of the unfortunate side effects of this emphasis on the individualistic aspect of, of Christianity, this personal aspect is that the necessity of community has been overshadowed, especially in Western culture. But all through Scripture, God's people are a community. You see it 
in the, the people of Israel all the way through the Old Testament, if you were a part of the covenant community of God, you actually lived amongst like other Israelites. Like you were in community with one another. It was you couldn't be a part of the community and not live amongst other Israelites. The idea that you can be a Christian and not be a member of a local church is really foreign to the Bible, right? So to be a Christian is to be in community. That's the first thing we need to emphasize. Secondly, what does the church do? So that's, that's who the church is. What does the church do? The church is called to be a witness and an ambassador of Jesus. Each member of the church is called to be witnesses and ambassadors of Jesus, uh, by the way that we live, we're called to live. Uh, to First uh, Peter says, "Be holy." What does that word mean? It means to be set apart. It means that we're to live differently uh, from the world. We're to live set apart lives, um, and and, by, and we're also uh, to be witnesses and ambassadors by the way that we boldly proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus. So First Peter two nine says, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. The church is a city on a hill. We're called to follow Jesus, to be like our Father in heaven. That way others can know him by seeing his likeness in us. That's how the world comes to know who God is, who Jesus is, by watching God's people, by watching uh, us relate to one another and relate to the world through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. They're able to see Jesus in us. The way we uh, summarize our mission here at Pillar DC is we say we're helping people know Jesus and make him known in DC and around the world. So being a Christian means being a part of a local church, and being a part of a local church means being on mission, and that's how we summarize our mission here. And it's also under, uh, important that we understand the structure of the church, though. When the structure is not sound, the health and the mission of the church can suffer. Uh, there's uh, Colin uh, Marshall and Tony Payne wrote a book a while back called The Trellis and the Vine. And the, the premise of the book is based on the illustration of a trellis and a vine. So when you go to a vineyard, uh, you'll see something that'll look a little bit like this. I don't, there should be a picture pulled up behind me. Um, so vines, for, the, for vines to grow healthy and to, to bear fruit, uh, they need a trellis. They need a structure on which to grow. And so uh, the premise of the book is that uh, the, the structure of the church is like the trellis and the spiritual life and vitality of the church is like the vine. And, and we need some structure. We need organizational, organizational structure for the spiritual life of the church to thrive. Healthy church structure enables us to do what we're called to do, which is help people know Jesus and make him known in D.C. and around the world. So church structure may not sound exciting, may not sound you know, like this is going to be a really exciting message when we talk about the leadership structure of the church, but it's absolutely vital and necessary or else we can't do that. We can't do that well without sound structure. And Actually, the lack of healthy structure was what prompted Paul to write to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Uh, what had been happening is uh, there were false teachers that had arisen 
in the church of Ephesus, and there was false doctrine running rampant. And so Paul actually came to Ephesus, and he expelled the false teachers who were teaching this false doctrine and teaching a false gospel. And then he left Timothy behind to help stabilize things and to set things in order. And so he was writing and giving further instruction to Timothy and helping just to clarify how the church, the New Testament church ought to be structured. Paul understood the importance of healthy structure to protect the life of the church. And so uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 3, yeah, 14 and 15, the verse we just read, he, l- listen, Paul even tells us why he's writing. He says, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And he tells us right there, these are instruction manuals for how the church ought to be structured. So what is the leadership structure in the New Testament church? Well, the Bible says that there's two offices in the church, elder and deacon. There, there are two important leadership roles given by God to the church to help the church do what we're called to do. So elders are called by God to oversee and lead the spiritual direction of the church. And deacons help lead and administer various ministries within the church under the direction of the elders. And the congregation executes the ministry of the church. Now, unfortunately, what happens too often today is that a bunch of Christians will come together on Sunday mornings to watch a couple of Christians use their spiritual gifts, right? And so you've got a big room of people that are gathered together, and there's one or two people, like maybe the guy that's preaching and maybe the person leading worship, and they're the ones using their spiritual gifts. And that's essentially uh, all that's happening in the life of the church when it comes to uh, you know, different believers using their gifts in the body. But one read through the New Testament shows us that this is not what God had in mind when He designed the church. Again, the church is a body with many members, and each one plays a critical role. And elders and deacons are two of those roles. And they're important roles. They come with a lot of responsibility. But I want to be clear that every Christian has been gifted by God with a spiritual gift so that he or she can serve the church. Here's, here's how I would summarize, uh, and this is on your, your sermon notes, uh, here's how I would summarize the leadership structure of the church in one sentence. Elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, the congregation does ministry. So elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, the congregation does ministry. So if you're a Christian, then please hear me this morning when I tell you, we need your gifts. We need your gifts. Look at the person next to you and say, we need your gifts. We do. We do. And, and you know what? You should also look around, you know, look around you and, and realize that like, you need their gifts and they need your gifts. So you have something to bring to the table and you also need the gifts of the other members of the church around you. Because there's not a single Christian, there's not one person who has the, you know, the fullness of the Spirit, who has every single spiritual gift in here. We need one another. That's how God has designed the church. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a closer look at what 1 Timothy 3 says about the qualifications and the calling of elders and deacons. And so 
for church members here, for members of Pillar DC, or if you're a member of another local church and you're visiting with us this morning, here's a, a couple of things, uh, a couple of important reasons you need to pay careful attention. Uh, first of all, it's your responsibility to identify potential deacons and elders and then vote to affirm them. Okay, so we're going to be doing that actually in the days to come. We're going to be announcing new elder candidates and we're going to have deacon candidates and we're going to affirm elders and deacons. And so you need to know what an elder and a deacon looks like, what a godly uh, elder and what a godly deacon looks like. Secondly, uh, God may be calling you to one of these offices. And so uh, we're going to look at the biblical qualifications. And so you ought to be examining yourself in light of this. Um, And thirdly, these character qualifications that we're going to look at, they are qualities that all Christians should exhibit. Okay, These are not like only elders and deacons need to have self-control and be sober-minded. All Christians are called to be self-controlled and sober-minded. But elders and deacons are called to be examples. They're called to be above reproach. They should be, they should be uh, individuals whom the rest of the church can look to and go, that's an example of what it looks like to live above reproach, to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled. Amen? All right, so let's talk about elders. Elders. Oh, by the way, uh, before I jump in, let me mention this too. If you are not a member of a healthy church... My prayer for you this morning is that you'll come away uh, from this message clearly seeing that God has a design for His church and that that design includes you being a member of a local body of believers. Whether it's this one or another one, I genuinely, uh, genuinely, I just want you to be a healthy member of a local church. So if it's not here, praise God, we'd love to help you find one where you can get plugged in, and we, and I, and we sincerely will. Uh, myself, Thomas, and Orion would love to help you do that, but we want you to be plugged in to the life of a church. Amen? So uh, let's talk about elders. What are elders? So again, like I said, elder, pastor, overseer, all three of those terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament. It's talking about the same office. Elders are primarily responsible for leading the church spiritually. And 1 Timothy 3, 2-7 lists the qualifications for an elder. And you know what's interesting when you read that qualification, uh, those qualifications, um, they're mostly about character, not competency. Did you notice that? They're character qualifications. In fact, the only qualification that's not related to character is the ability to teach. I think many people disqualify themselves because they don't think they have the, the education or the charisma, or, or, or whatever that they think a, an elder or a pastor is supposed to have. But that's not what makes a godly elder. That's not what makes an effective, biblically qualified elder. When you're looking for qualified elder, it's, it's the character that shines through. Paul uses that term above reproach as kind of a blanket term to summarize all the character qualifications that follow uh, in verses 2 to 7. And what's really amazing is that uh, that teaches us that elders are not required or called to do anything different than any other Christian is called to do. So, like I was just saying a moment ago, uh, all of us are called to be uh, faithful uh, to our spouse. All of us are called to be self-controlled. All of us are called to be gentle. Elders are not to live a different kind of a Christian life, but an exemplary kind of a Christian life, okay? Elders are not called to live a different kind of Christian life. They're called to live an exemplary kind of Christian life. 
First Peter 5 uh, urges elders, uh, be examples to the flock. And then Hebrews 13.7 urges uh, believers to remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. This is, this is really important uh, because, and here's the deal, this isn't just true for pastors and elders. The reality is, is that all of us are leaders. All of us are ambassadors of Jesus, and no matter who you are in this room, if you claim to be a Christian, somebody's watching your life. Somebody's looking at you. Somebody is looking at you, and they're getting an idea of, what, of who Jesus is by the way that you live, and they're getting an idea of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus by the way that you live, by the words that you say. And that's a humbling thought for elders who are called to lead and for church members who are called to be ambassadors of Jesus. So we would all do well to ask ourselves from time to time, if somebody were to follow us around and to imitate us, would they grow more like Christ or less like Christ? That's an important question for us to ask. Elders are called to be above reproach in their character, but elders are also called to be able to teach. They're also called to be able to teach. Um, Titus 1.9 says it even more clearly. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy doctrine, uh, excuse me, to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So why is godly character and the ability to teach so important for elders? It's because of the elders' calling. It's because of what they are tasked to do. What's the calling of an elder? An elder is called to shepherd the flock of God towards spiritual maturity. Uh, In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, uh, Paul kind of summarizes his calling. He says, We proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, Our goal, our ultimate goal as we help lead the church is to present everyone mature in Christ. So elders are responsible for the souls of, their, of those under their care. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy, he goes on in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, keep a close watch on, yourselves, on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. And every time I think about that passage, and I, I think about the task of eldership, It puts a healthy fear into my heart. And for anyone who is an elder or who's aspiring to be an elder, it should do the same for you too. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Nobody is righteous or holy. But God, by His grace, sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross in the place of sinners. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell his people. And so everyone who trusts in Jesus is born again and receives the Holy Spirit. We become a new creation and God changes us from the inside out. That's a process called sanctification. It simply means that we're being made more like Jesus. And God uses means to do this. Okay, 
God uses these means to keep us from drifting away from him, from being deceived by sin or by Satan or by false teaching. And one of the means that God uses to help you grow as a Christian, to keep you from straying as a Christian, is spiritual leaders in the local church. Elders are one of God's means. So here's a few things that that elders do to shepherd the flock of God. First, elders teach the word. They teach the word. So 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as the elders read Scripture out loud in church and as they teach Scripture to the congregation, the believers are built up. And, 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 Lord willing, you are conformed into the image of Christ. You become more Christ-like as the Word is taught and it's applied to your life and applied to your heart. Elders are also charged with protecting the flock. We just read Titus 1.9 a moment ago. And Titus 1.9 specifically calls elders not only to teach sound doctrine, but to refute false doctrine. You know, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. I think this is something that gets overlooked a lot. I think the prevalence uh, and the danger of false teaching, of, you know, twisted teaching is far greater than we realize. Uh, you know, I, I started thinking through every single book in the New Testament. There's only one book that I can think of in the New Testament that does not specifically warn against false teaching. It's the book of Philemon. That's the only book I can think of in the entire New Testament that doesn't specifically talk about this. Jesus talked about it a lot. In Matthew 24, for example, Jesus told us straight up, many false prophets will come in my name and deceive many. Many false prophets will come in my name and deceive many. So just like Paul did for the Ephesian church, elders need to strongly oppose false teaching and distortions of the gospel so that God's people aren't led astray. That's an important task for elders. Elders also lead. Elders lead. So elders provide spiritual leadership to the church. And elders cannot lead the church well unless they are being led by God. This is why one of the most important things that elders can do is spend time in the Word of God and in prayer, listening to God. We can't, I can't help lead. Thomas can't help lead. Orion, we cannot lead well unless we are being led by the Spirit of God. If we're not being led by the Spirit of God, we're not going to lead our church in a good direction. You know, practically speaking, when it comes to uh, the way that elders lead and what they do, elders help set the direction of the church so that the members of the church can thrive and grow and so that those outside the church can be reached with the gospel. Elders also care. Elders care. So this means visiting the sick, comforting the mourning, praying for church members, counseling church members, discipling. Now again, this is, I want to reemphasize, this is another instance where it's good to point out this is not, care is not something that only elders do. We're all called to care for one another. Care is the job of every single follower of Jesus. You are called to care for other Christians. The book of 1 John, for example, over and over emphasizes that if we don't love the brethren, if we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, the love of God is not within us. 
So like, like it's just a given that when we're a Christian, we're going to minister to one another and care for one another. And elders should be models of this. They should be examples of this. Elders and, and, and elders should help equip the saints for the work of ministry, like Ephesians 4 says. So one of the tasks of the elders is to help teach uh, the congregation how to care well for one another, how to disciple one another, and help exhort you to do that. Now, there's a lot more that I could say about elders, uh, and I'll, I'll be just be quite transparent with you. This is one of the more difficult like sermons I've prepared because it was so much stuff. And what was difficult was figuring out like what to talk about, what not to talk about, because uh, there's a lot. And um, we are, by the way, going to have a short Q and A time afterwards, and so uh, we will get to maybe some burning questions. Um, but let's talk about deacons real quick uh, before we do that. Uh, what are deacons? So the word for deacon. Uh, is uh, the Greek word uh, diakonus. Diakonus literally means servant. means servant. So here's kind of the, the definition for your outline for deacons, what they do. Deacons help administer and lead the various ministries within the church at the direction of the elders. Deacons help administer and lead the various ministries within the church at the direction of the elders. So, deacons are those who serve with a cheerful heart, who don't complain, who shy away from taking credit, and who are eager to train and to build up others. And when we say that deacons are servants, what we're not communicating is that the office of deacon is a lesser office. Deacons are servant leaders, and in God's household, being a servant is one of the highest callings. Just think about the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45. Jesus says, He called the disciples to to Himself and He said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So the character qualifications for deacons are just as high as they are for elders because it's a high calling. The character qualifications are essentially the exact same as they are uh, for an elder. There are two primary differences. First, deacons are not required to have the gift of teaching because deacons do not teach. And secondly, the office of deacon can be filled by a male or a female because deacons do not teach or exercise authority when the church is gathered. But deacons play a critical leadership role within the church. So what exactly do deacons do? I like, uh, I think Russell Moore's explanation is helpful. He says that deacons serve the body by removing potential obstacles to unity by meeting human needs. So deacons serve the body by removing potential obstacles to unity by meeting human needs. So in in the first place we see deacons in the New Testament is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And the apostles appointed deacons because there were disputes arising within the church about the distribution of bread uh, and and food for uh, widows. 
And the apostles were not able to give the time needed to this vital ministry and also be able to do their primary function, which was to, uh, which was to pray and to, uh, to teach uh, and preach the word. So godly leaders full of the Holy Spirit were needed to provide leadership and to take ownership of these critical ministry areas. And that's what deacons do. So at Pillar D.C., Deacons or deaconesses, which is the term for a female deacon, can either be role-specific or they can have non-specific roles. So what I mean by that is we have what's called core servants, and core servants uh, have uh, provide leadership over various ministries within the church, such as the kids' ministry or the first impressions ministry or the operations. And we have individuals who are essentially, we, so we have not officially voted in deacons yet as a church. It's something that we're going to be doing in June. But right now, we do have people who are essentially functioning in those roles as deacons. So, for example, uh, Rachel, uh, is uh, she helps direct our kids' ministry. So, Rachel is filling the role of deaconess right now. And by the way... Just as an aside, as you're thinking about, uh, you know, who uh, from among us might be uh, qualified to be uh, deacons and deaconesses, one of the first places to start would be to look at those core servants because the best way to, f- to find a, a good potential elder or deacon is to look at people who are already eldering and deaconing, they're already doing those things, and they're doing them well. Amen? So... We can also have deacons or uh, deaconesses that are not core servants, by the way. Uh, they may have a non-specific role like uh, managing uh, the benevolence fund or uh, performing administrative tasks for the church. Uh, and uh, elders and deacons are nominated and they're affirmed on an as-needed basis in the church. As the needs of the church grow, the needs for more deacons grows. As the membership of the church grows, the need for more elders grows. Does that make sense? So... Let me, um, let me just kind of give you some, some brief application here. Uh, if you're a member of Pillar DC or if you're a member of another uh, healthy church, uh, let me encourage you to be thinking about who displays these qualities in 1 Timothy 3. Go home and read through these qualifications and these characteristics and think about like, who does this describe in our church. And you can submit your, uh, you can nominate somebody uh, as an elder or a deacon candidate, or you can request for them to be nominated, and you can submit uh, that to the elders in writing, uh, either through a handwritten letter or through email, uh, and you can email that to any one of the elders. And for all of us, though, we need to be asking ourselves whether we could accurately be described as a servant in the way that we serve God and others. Are we coming to church thinking about how my needs can be met? Is that, is that the, the, the approach that we take when we come to worship? Or are we thinking about how to serve those around us? Remember, greatness in the kingdom of God means being a servant of all. So this morning we've talked about God's design for the leadership structure of the church. God has given elders to lead ministry, deacons to facilitate ministry, and he's called the congregation to do ministry. So as we close, let me give two final exhortations, and then we're going to enter into a Q&A time. Uh, number one, if you are not plugged into a local church, again, please get plugged in, um, whether it's this one or another one. Um, we've got a membership class coming on uh, March the 8th, and uh, you can come to that and you can learn more about uh, what that looks like. Um, and then secondly, 
for all of us, uh, pray for and support the elders of this church uh, or your church. If you, if you have another church home, pray for your elders, pray for your pastors, and pray for the deacons and the deaconesses as well. Elders are sinful people, just like everyone else who have doubts and fears and, and sin struggles. And myself and Orion and Thomas, we covet your prayers. We take great joy in shepherding this congregation, and we also take it very seriously. I consider this the greatest privilege of my life. Um, we need your prayer. We desperately need your prayer, and we need your support as we help uh, to provide leadership. Uh, pray also that God would raise up more uh, godly men as elders, and pray that God would raise up godly men and women for the office of deacon. Um, we, we want to help raise up and equip and send out uh, leaders here at Pillar DC. Um, so now I'm going to ask Orion to come up and uh, we're going to uh, do a time of Q&A and kind of answer some specific uh, questions that have come up. So earlier this week, we put out a kind of a Google form and asked you to submit questions that you might have around this topic. Hopefully you saw it. We tried to blast it out on email and social media. Um, and uh, I, depending on time, we may have time for a couple of impromptu questions after we, just depends on how long it takes us to get through the ones that were submitted. Okay, so uh, the first one uh, that I want to talk about is we got numerous questions, uh, that, you know, this question numerous times just in different words. Can women serve as elders? Can women serve as elders? So um, I'll go ahead and, and, and take this one. Uh, and then, Orion, if you just want to, you know, chime in as, as you feel led. But uh, so Scripture teaches uh, that the role of elder is reserved for men, okay? So the Bible teaches that men and women are both created equal in the image of God. However, men and women are not the same, okay? So we, we would adamantly reject the premise that equality equals sameness. Equality does not equal sameness, that's simply not what equality is. Men and women are equal in value, dignity, and worth, but they're different in function. And we see that in the way that God has designed creation. One of the most obvious examples biologically is that women have the role of childbearing. Men do not. That God has, has designed us that way. And God also has a design for the family, and he has a design for the church. So God's design for the family is most clearly laid out uh, when it comes to the husband-wife relationship in Ephesians chapter 5. So Paul says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, right? And so what that means, what does that look like? What does spiritual leadership in the home look like? Well, it looks like what Jesus did, which is he laid himself down. He sacrificed himself. He put his bride before himself. And that's exactly what husbands are called to do. We... So listen, any, any notion that male headship in the home or male leadership looks like domineering, looks like putting your fist down and it's my way or the highway is unbiblical and sinful. That's not male leadership. That's not what a man does. Amen? A man lays down his life for his wife. A man puts his wife first. And it's the exact same way in the church. Okay? So... Um, a guy named uh, Stephen Clark, he's a commentator, he said, he said the community, which is the church, must be structured in a way that supports the pattern of the family, and the family must be structured in a way that supports the pattern 
of the community. So one of the reasons that there is male spiritual leadership in the church is because God has designed male spiritual leadership in the home. Does that make sense? So, listen, I understand why this is a sensitive issue. Many women have been mistreated by insensitive or cruel men. And we are adamantly opposed to discrimination against women or against any other person, period, for any reason. It's sinful, and it doesn't align with Jesus' command to love our neighbors, and it doesn't have any place in the church. But in our efforts to advocate for justice and equality for women, which we should do, and I do believe that there is still more work to be done on that front, but in our efforts to do so, We must not swing the pendulum to the other side and blur and erase the distinct differences in gender roles that God has designed for the home and the church because, honestly, that will do equal damage to women's cause. So there's more that we could get into uh, on this, and maybe maybe if there's follow-up questions uh, we could get in. But I'm going to go ahead and... Do you have something to add to that, uh, brother? I just... um... Along with this, the, we, we look at it from the women's side a lot of the times. You know, there's women out there. Why can't we lead from the front? Why can't we be elders? But I would also say there are men out here saying, why do I have to? You know, why do I have to lead? Why is it, why is it the men? And so it's just equally convicting for men to, to look at the design of the church, the way God's designed it, and see how he is showing himself, Jesus, and his bride through the local church from a men's perspective as well. Amen. And that's a great point. And also, uh, you know, it reminds me of something else. Here's what we're not saying. We are not saying that women are not, can't, don't have the ability to teach, okay? Uh, we're not saying that women don't have the ability to lead, and we're not saying that women should not lead. Clearly, that's not the case because we do have women leading in our church. We've got lots of women playing very critical and key leadership roles within the church. This has nothing to do, again, with value, with dignity, with ability at all. There are women leading in many, many different, uh, you know, uh, spaces in society. And, uh, but God has a specific do- design for the home and for the community of people. So spiritual leadership in the home, spiritual leadership in the church, there is a, there's a design that reflects a greater reality, which is the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the local church. Um, and also just a great resource. If you have questions about this, and look, uh, if you're, if you're genuinely open-minded and you genuinely want to know and genuinely have a teachable and humble spirit, then I would, I would challenge you if you've still got questions on this. Like, we would love to have a conversation with you. If you want to sit down and talk with us, like, we will. Uh, and we, we want, I want to hear from you and understand uh, your, you know, your perspective. And I want to help try uh, to you know, show you from Scripture, not from our opinions, but from Scripture, why we believe what we believe. But a a good resource uh, for you to look up on your own is a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. Uh, It's one of the most thorough treatments, uh, and it's it's just, it's very accessible. Uh, It's put in layman's terms. Uh, So Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. I would encourage you uh, and commend that book to you. So let's go to the the next um, question here. Why can women be deacons but not pastors? Um, The main reason is because deacons do not teach or exercise authority in the church. So there is no aspect of the deacon role that is reserved for men. 
Uh, and secondly, there are clear biblical examples of deaconesses in the Bible. Uh, for example, there's Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, uh, 1 Timothy 3, uh, and there are no biblical examples of female elders. Um, Orion, what's the difference? Uh, next question, what's the difference between an elder and a pastor? That's another question we got. Yeah, thanks for the softball. Um, from, you bet. I'm, try, I'm trying from, to take some of the hard the, ones from yeah. you. From the beginning of your sermon, there, you want me no to give difference. you a hard one? No, no, I'm good. Okay. So there, there's no difference between elders and pastors. It's a, it's another, it's another name for it. We see um, in scripture, and we've used, um, just like Jerry was saying, preacher, things like that. But there's no difference. Okay. So Orion, another question that came in is, what is the process for nominating and appointing elders and deacons, and how often will we do it? So you want to explain what kind of the process of how that's uh, going to work mechanically? So. At any time, members of the church can recommend um, an individual within the church to be an elder or deacon uh, through the process you mentioned earlier, submitting a letter, uh, contacting one of us. And then following that, we'll follow up, we'll get in touch with that person and we'll, we'll begin a observation period and we will observe their life, look for the qualifications and how they live their life. And we will, as a elders of the church, we'll. Uh, and come together, and if we're in agreement, 100% agreement, then we will present them to the, the members at the next members meeting um, to bring them in as elder or deacon. Um, there, there are different periods for which we will observe individuals. So for elders, it'll be a period between two to 12 months. We're, we're really going to look into their life to see, are they above reproach, which is, which is in a lot of times um, tough to do in a short amount of time. So we're going to take as long as necessary for that for the health of the church because elder is a position that they will hold potentially their entire life. And so we want to um, make sure that they're living above approach. And then second, we um, deacons. Deacons about one to six months, we'll, we'll take a look and then we'll come together and they can hold that position for, um, we haven't talked about it yet as a church. It'll be in our uh, constitution, but we will, uh, it could be as much as three years or longer, so. Yeah, so what I want to talk about there is, like, uh, there, we're considering having term limits for deacons, and so uh, we have not made that decision yet, but that'll be a decision we'll all make together, so. All right, another question uh, that came in was, um, how often will elders and deacons be voted in? Again, uh, it's kind of on an as-needed basis, so as the needs of the church grow, uh, the need for more elders and deacons will grow, and so we'll do that. Um, and then lastly, uh, how do we identify potential elders and deacons? So um, like I was saying earlier, look for people who are already eldering and already deaconing, people who are exhibiting these characteristics, people who are already serving in these ways, who, who stand out. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's the best way. Uh, and also, uh, it needs to be somebody who, uh, like First Timothy 3 says, somebody who aspires to the office, so, uh, you know, if, if an individual does not want to be, does not feel called to be an elder or a deacon, then they are not called. They shouldn't be. Uh, so that's a pretty big component that we should mention as well. Um, okay. I'm going to uh, actually open it up for one or two follow-up questions just in case there was something that you wanted clarification on or felt like didn't get hit. Uh, and so, Orion, would you mind, like, if somebody raises their hand, just bring them the mic and we'll ask real quick. So is there anybody that has a follow-up question? We'll do one or two. Am 
My question was just how, like, so if we're submitting something to you in a written form, how, like, how detailed does that need to be in order to nominate somebody? It can literally just be a name. Okay. You could just say, <laughs> I, I would like to suggest so-and-so to be nominated for uh, the office of deacon or the office of elder. Yeah. Will there ever be a need to like re-vote in elders, or is it just one vote and then is it like every five years you have to re-vote and say yes, they're still good? No, so elders don't have term limits. Uh, so an elder, as long as an elder is continuing to live above reproach, as long as an elder is continuing to carry out the office of elder uh, as a biblically qualified elder, uh, then until they decide to move on or if they disqualify themselves, they would remain uh, in that office. Yeah. Uh, you talked about deacons and we talked about elders. <clears throat> so with deacons, some of them have the potential to become elders. So is there a pipeline for that? Um, one. And two, is it, if not, what can be done like developmentally for just deacons? That's a, that's a great question. Yes, a deacon could become an elder. And so uh, the pipeline essentially for, you know, we do have elder training. So we've got a specific track that, you know, in a specific process that we'll take elder candidates through. Part of it is, you know, there's some material they go over, but part of it is also just beginning to, to sit in with the rest of the elders on elders meetings, doing things that elders do, things like that. And so the way that we would recognize uh, a deacon who could become an elder is the same way we would recognize any other church member. If we start seeing those giftings in a deacon, uh, then we would you know, somebody would notice that and either bring it to the attention of the elders or most likely the elders are going to see it, you know, as well, especially in a church our size. We're not like a, a massive church. So, you know, yeah. Couple, uh, we'll do like uh, two more questions. Okay. Some people like me are introverted. Would they be better off as an elder or a deacon? Hey, man. So that's a good question, Mike. So like, again, when it comes to the qualifications for elders and deacons, one of the things you don't see on there is extrovert, Right. So honestly, like, you know, you're going to have deacons that are like every elder, for example, has plays different roles. Okay. So Thomas and I are very different, for example, right? Thomas and I are not the same type of person. Thomas is very gifted in areas where I'm not. Orion is very gifted in areas where I'm not. And I'm gifted in areas where they're not. Okay. So not every single elder is going to be an upfront, you know, type of an extrovert type of a person. Uh, and not every deacon is going to be behind the scenes, you know, like, uh, introvert. So uh, as long as a, uh, a person meets the biblical qualifications, that's what matters, not whether you're extroverted or introverted. That's a good question, though. Yeah, one more. Yes. Right, right here. I know you said that there are examples of female deaconesses, but I was just curious, and I totally agree, but why in First Timothy, in the passage 8 through 13, Paul didn't say anything about giving qualifications for female. He does talk about like their wives, but it seems pretty gender specific there. It's a great question. I'm actually glad you brought that up. That's cool that you noticed that. So, First Timothy three. Uh, I'll just briefly hit on this. Um, so the word there in First Timothy chapter three, uh, verse eleven, where he says their wives likewise must be dignified. So, if if some of you your translations may say women must likewise be dignified. Uh, the reason is, is because the word there that's translated in the ESV as wives is the Greek word yini, which could either be translated as women or wives. So there is debate over whether or not this is referring to the wives of a, a wife of a male deacon or to female deacons. I tend to lean towards the side that this is referring to female deacons, and I think there's other support in the New Testament. 
This is a great example, though, of one of those open-handed things. So you, like, there may be other people in this church who don't think that, you know, uh, who, who think that the office of deacon is reserved for men, right? Um, we have taken the stance as a church that we believe that uh, the office of deacon is for men and women, and so that's what we're going to do as a church. Uh, but it's one of those issues where somebody could come down on, you know, another opinion, and it would be understandable uh, where somebody could come to a different conclusion. But that's why. So, great question. So, cool. All right. Um, we're, one more? Okay. This is really the last one, I promise. Oh, here you go. <laughs> you mentioned that deacons aren't required to teach or are not allowed to teach. De- deacons are not required to have the gift of teaching, uh, but deacons certainly, like if we see deacons that have teaching ability, and then we're going to help foster that, and when we say teaching, there's also, like we don't have time to get into this, but uh, there are lots of different forums in which teaching can be done within the church, uh, so teaching can be done through the authoritative, like preaching from the front, teaching can happen in small groups, it happens in the kids' ministry, so there are gifted people who should teach inside the church that are not elders. Uh, So that's a great question though. Yeah. Awesome. Hey guys, I'm going to close this time out in prayer. Hopefully this was helpful. And if you have more questions, again, uh, reach out to us, your elders. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a a closing song uh, of worship and then we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for this morning. Um, Lord, um, we don't talk about things like this every single Sunday, and sometimes it can be hard when we, when we study the leadership structure of the church, and we talk about elders and deacons, and there can be um, you know, so many different churches that have different ways that their churches are structured. It can be hard to, to discern how this applies to our lives and, and what this means for us. But God, I just pray that each one of us would come away from here this morning recognizing that you do have a good and a beautiful design for your church. Um, And that, Lord, it's important because it helps uphold the ministry that the church does. It helps us to to help people know Jesus and make him known in D.C. and around the world. And God, you have given us the gift of being a part of the body of Christ, and we want to steward it well. God, we want so badly to be a, a, a church that is pleasing to you. God, we want to be a church that loves one another well, that loves our community well, and boldly proclaims the gospel. God, we don't want uh, anything that we would do to to discredit that or to to take away from that. And so, God, we pray for a healthy church here at Pillar DC. God, we pray for unity in the midst of our church. God, I pray that we would clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. God, that we would listen to one another, take time to understand one another. And God, I I pray for the people here that you would help people recognize their spiritual gifts and recognize how valuable of a member of the body they are, how valuable of a role they play in the church. God, you have a purpose for each and every person here. So God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, uh, for uh, hearing our prayers this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.